0: This episode of the PolicyViz podcast is brought to you by Socrata. Socrata is the global leader in software solutions that are designed exclusively for digital government. They deliver unprecedented data-driven innovation and cost savings for hundreds of public sector leaders and millions of their constituents around the world. Socrata's digital government solutions are being deployed for a wide array of strategic and mission-critical government services that empower citizens while enhancing their quality of life. To learn more about Socrata, visit www.socrata.com. Welcome back to the policy of his podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. I hope everyone's having a nice fall. I'm here with Arvind Satanarayan. Look at that. Yeah, Arvind, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. First take. Uh, <laughs> Arvind, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Of
1: course. Um, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, for those who don't know, Arvind works in uh, at University of Washington with uh, in Jeff Hare's group uh, behind lots of very cool tools that people are excited about. Um, Arvid, why don't I ask you to start? Just introduce yourself real quickly, and then we'll um, and then maybe just just jump right in. Uh, I think we want to talk about the new uh, tool, newish release of of the new tool Vega, and maybe you just talk about that a little bit, sort of the um, basic philosophy behind it and, and what you're sure. trying to build.
1: Sure. So uh, I am now starting my fifth year in the PhD. Uh, wow. Um, and I've been working with Jeff um, over the course of the, the last few years, um, and Sort of the the philosophy behind Vega um, just continues this thread of research that we've been doing in the group with with declarative visualization toolkits. Um, So it started with ProtoVis and, of course, uh, led to D3. And the design decisions behind D3 really uh, wanted to leverage the existing web design uh, tool stack, right? So it wanted to tie data to DOM elements. And that yields a lot of advantages. So you're able to, you know, continue using CSS to do the styling. You're able to use the JavaScript console for debugging and things like that. Um, But it it also restricts the set of higher level stuff that you can do around it. um, And in some cases, uh, uh, you know, puts some caps on your performance. Um, so we, we created Vega to, to address those points. Um, and so Vega, with Vega, visualizations are represented through uh, a purely declarative JSON specification. So there is no traditional sort of imperative programming happening, no for loops, no while loops, no if statements, things like that. Um, all you do is say, you know, I want these marks, um, I want these scales, I want this data, and we've even got a, a sort of... Data transformation pipeline integrated into the Vega language as well. So things like filters and grouping into facets and, and so forth. And so because uh, because a visualization is just uh, JSON, um, you know that means that uh, it can serve as a platform for for higher level tools because um, it's much easier for another piece of software to generate a JSON object, um, particularly in JavaScript. Um, Than it is to write out a bunch of D3 code.
0: Mm -hmm. And when users are working with Vega, is there a are they working in a particular um, framework or uh, you know sort of framework? Or they are they sort of building the code um, in the browser? Like what's the what's the interface? Yeah, so
1: there so there uh, there are a handful of different ways. Um, So. Uh, We have a Vega Live editor, which is basically, you know, just a text box with with some syntax highlighting and so forth. So you can type out your, you know, JSON um, uh, Mm -hmm. hand-coded. And that's definitely, you know, it's it's to some degree a challenge. You need to learn uh, the Vega syntax. And, you know, JSON can often trip you up if you forget a quotation mark Mm -hmm. or a comma in places. Um, But that's definitely useful in its own right. Um, but where we really see Vega differentiating itself from the others is, like I was saying, a, you know, a platform for higher-level tools. Uh, last year, we put out this tool called Lyra that allows you to do drag-and-drop um, you know, design for, for visualizations. so kind of like Illustrator, but for, for uh, data visualizations. Um, and a bunch of my colleagues have been working on um, Vega-related tools, but for exploratory data analysis. Um, so recreating a tableau style interface or even um, a gallery of visualizations to browse through your data um, and so you can see that you know we 're sort of moving visualization design up um, an abstraction level um, yeah. and so we 're you know removing the need for people to maybe manually specify these things and and try and figure out is there you know a way to do it automatically? can we recommend good designs or you know can users just you know, do it in a sort of direct way.
0: Right. Right. And it's purely a visualization tool, right? Because I think one of the knocks—not criticisms of Tableau I think is that it's a pure data visualization tool. So you need to have your data in a particular order to be able to make the visualization. Is that similar for for Vega?
1: Um, That's definitely similar. Uh, So like I was saying, we have um, an integrated uh, data transformation pipeline Mm -hmm. um, and it is extensible. So you know, you can add your own uh, transformations in there if you want, but but we really do sort of focus on the visualization side of things. So we expect your data to be you know clean, uh, mm-hmm. structured, and and so forth. Um, so if you were to just dump say a CSV file from data.gov or somewhere like that, it yeah. wouldn't work right off the bat.
0: Right, yeah. you have to clean it up, and
1: that's right. right. that's right. right. Um, but I mean, you know, again, uh, one of the nice things about Vega being this JSON format is. Uh, that it can also serve as, as this common language that all these different tools can, can talk. Mm-hmm. And so we're hoping that you know, we don't need to be the one tool that handles everything, mm-hmm. but rather we start to build up an ecosystem of tools that all speak the same language. And so it becomes easy to you know, start with uh, your data in, in something like you know, Data Wrangler, Tableau, uh, or Trifacta, Mm-hmm. and then export it to, to another tool to do, you know, more customized visualization. But sort of underneath the hood, everyone's speaking Vega.
0: I see. Um, so in your mind, the like the total workflow is something like someone has some raw data, they're working in R or SAS or SPSS or state or whatever it is. They may you know, export the the core thing that they want to show to maybe Excel or to Tableau. They sort of draft something up and then... They take that same data set and they move it into Vega to create the online and interactive for their, or online graphics for, for their. That's you
1: know, right, for their own. because I think each of those steps is complex unto itself yeah. and needs its own specialized tool to really do a good job. Um, and so I think sort of making it easy to go from one tool to the next is, is really sort of the way we, we want to go.
0: Right. And this is, this is, the one that just came out is Vega 2.0. That's right, so mm-hmm. what are the, what were the let me just what's new, yeah. Ass- yeah so what, are the, yeah. What's the, what, the, what were the differences between one version the first version and version
1: 2.0? Yeah, so the first version um, was mainly for static visualization. So everything in the JSON you know uh, would be familiar to, to people that have used d3. So you've got your data and your transforms, you've got scales, you've got axes and legends, and then finally your marks. Um, what that leaves out is interactions. And Vega 1 supported interactions, but you had to register event listeners, and you know, then you're left to your JavaScript programming, mm-hmm. um, which is just the way that D3 does it. Um, and that you know, introduces a bunch of problems for the user. Um, you know, the user has to manually manage state, um, they have to, you know, figure out all these sort of internal details with event handling, like preventing propagation and defaults and, and all this yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and particularly when you, you know, were in Vega land, it was very jarring to have this nice JSON specification that described, you know, your static visualization, and then for all the interactive behavior suddenly have to do programming. right. right. And so over the last year, what we did that ultimately yielded Vega 2 was figure out how to do interaction design declaratively. So it's part of that JSON specification. And so what we did, uh, what we ended up doing was actually leveraging reactive programming, which a lot of people have been, you know, looking at recently, um, and particularly in data visualization. So um, what we did was take, uh, you know, this notion of signals um, and event streams and figure out a way to tie that into the rest of the specification language. The idea being that event streams kind of abstract away the difficulty of, of event callbacks and all the sequencing that happens. And then signals give you uh, basically a dynamic variable that uh, you can use throughout the rest of the specification. And any time that variable changes, uh, Vega automatically re-renders the visualization for you. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about any of the you know, managing state or, or propagation yourself.
0: Do you have a particular audience in mind? I mean, I think there are sort of the hardcore developers who are going to be doing it. They want to do their custom thing in D3. And then you've got sort of, I mean, if you looked at sort of a spectrum, you've got like developers yeah. doing, you know, sort of work that you do, right? Like um, uh, all the way at the root. And then you have people who, you know, Excel and Tableau. So right. is there a, do you have sort of a, an audience, a user in mind? It's um, a good question.
1: Um, like i was saying you know a lot of people we've seen have been sort of coding vega by hand yeah um and from what we've heard people do like it as a prototyping tool a way to you know quickly generate something quickly test out an interactive behavior see if it makes sense right um and then maybe you know go to d3 for the the fully fledged thing mm-hmm. um and so that's definitely an option um and might be particularly more so once um, you know, we finish work on, on Vega Light, which is, you know, uh, even further up the abstraction ladder. Mm-hmm. But where I sort of really see the power is in those higher-level tools, so sort of the Lyra's and the Polestar's and the Voyager's, um, to to figure out new ways of doing doing design that, that haven't been possible so far.
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about some of those other tools? Like sure. Like Polestar and some of the other ones, that Jeff, and then maybe some of the other things that you're working on as well.
1: Yeah, so... Um, my colleagues, Dominic Moritz and Kinnit what? Um, I hope I said that right. Um, first take. We're just doing the first take today. <laughs> have been uh, looking at uh, the exploratory side of, of uh, the data visualization pipeline. Um, and one of the problems there, um, including sort of with uh, tools today like Tableau, is that if you have a, a data set that you're not familiar with, um, it can be difficult to know what questions to ask um, ahead of time. And, and particularly in Tableau, for example, you're presented with a blank slate. You need to know which fields in your data are interesting, and you need to figure out which way to sort of map them to, to uh, you know, visual encodings, like should I put you know, price on the x-axis and, and, and something else on the y-axis and so forth. And so what they did with Voyager was basically provide you a search interface over a gallery of visualizations. So right off the bat, you load your data into this tool, and it provides you, you know, uh, visualizations that show you the distribution of various variables, mm-hmm. uh, various data fields. And then you can start sort of drilling down into your data set once you notice something interesting using uh, you know, a bunch of checkboxes on the left-hand side. So you can say, you know, show me the price and the yield um, you know, and once it does that, behind the scenes it 's got a recommendation engine called Compass that tries to calculate some statistics over those data sets and suggest interesting visualizations to you to uncover you know um, uh, things of interest um, and, and one of their sort of principles behind the tool was to maximize data variation rather than design variation so they're, tr- they're trying to show you as part of the gallery many different slices of your data set rather than showing you the same slices in different ways. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Um, And then Polestar was just a a quick uh, uh, or, you know, comparatively quick interface they put together to to see if, you know, this gallery view was actually a useful um, uh, way of showing data. And they found that, yeah, actually once, you know, they tested it with participants in a user study, they found that people do cover a lot more, um, you know, areas of their data set than with just a manual specification interface like like Tableau or Polestar.
0: Right. And you think leading people down the... I mean, so how do you feel about leading people down these roads? Uh, I sometimes worry... I mean, basically Excel leads people down roads into 3D exploding pie charts, right? Right, right. Um, Is that is that the way that just people are, are going to create visualizations as you lead them down a road or you just provide them with the sort of library of of possibilities?
1: Yeah, I think um, uh, Voyager uh, or the goal with Voyager is is really powerful in this way because it's something um, in HCI at least we call mixed initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is that it's neither purely sort of leading the users down a path, um, and it's not you know the user purely deciding what it is they want to do, but rather it's sort of this cyclical process where you give the system a little bit of information, the system uses that information to make, you know, or, or present you with a list of possibilities, mm-hmm. and then you make the decision again. And so it's sort of this back and forth. Um, so it's kind of guided exploration right. rather than um, anything else. And Got so it. the hope is, you know, on the design side of things, um, we have all these perceptual principles that are known, you know, with colors and, and things like that. Um, but none of our design tools expose any of that, uh, that knowledge to, mm-hmm. to users. And so you can imagine, you know, similar sorts of things in a tool like Lyra, where, um, you know, maybe you create, you map some data to a color uh, uh, field, um, and then maybe Lyra starts to, you know, uh, intuit the types of data you're trying to visualize and suggest colors for that um, because that's one of the studies that, that uh, one of my colleagues in the lab did as well, which was, you know, if there's a semantic mapping between the data and the color, um, people are more likely to, to remember it and, and you know, uh, understand it. Right. So, you know, there's, there's things like that that I think um, can be operationalized in systems um, that, that we haven't explored yet. Interesting.
0: Uh, I've asked the last couple of guests this question, so I'm going to turn it to you. Where sure. do you think... The field of data visualization is headed, and I think that's more not so much on the research side, but on the tools. Um, and I hesitate to use the word storytelling, but on the storytelling, for back of a better word, telling stories right. with data. Yeah. Um, not so much on the on the research side. I think that's a whole other discussion that we can definitely have. But <laughs> yeah, on yeah. the sort of you know, the, you're you're working a lot on these tools, and yeah. you know, so where do you see the field sort of evolving next over the next you know in in 2016, I guess? Right. Um, for me, the big thing is is trying to get
1: away from you know requiring programming as a way to express this thing that is inherently visual and interactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, my focus over the next year is definitely going to switch back towards Lyra and figuring out how we can close the loop with interaction design. Um, and then all the stuff with storytelling, I think, falls out as as future work out of that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because Lyra right now is this, uh, you know, fully featured monolithic sort of uh, 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 application. And I think it's interesting to think about, you know, how do we break that down to make it even simpler? Um, Sort of what if on, on data journalism sites like the Upshot or something like that, people not only had a comment box but like a little toolbar that allowed them to make a very simple visualization mm-hmm. from the data that's being showed. Right. Um, and so that way, you know, if you if you really reduce the, the threshold um, or lower the barrier for creating visualizations, I think people can much more quickly engage with the data or offer sort of rebuttals or things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the same sets of conversations that we see sort of on the the data visualization Twitter sphere,
0: yeah.
1: um, where people, you know, throw visualizations back and forth and critique it and sort of unpack it. Um, I think don't have to. I think that only happens right now amongst sort of the professionals and people that are interested because the the barrier right. remains so high to create these. Um, right. So my hope is that you know, if you if you make it easier, then then that discussion sort of uh, democratizes. Yeah, it democratizes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what uh, what have we missed? What else are you working on?
1: Um, I'm sort of just pushing this whole tool stack forward. Yeah. So uh, my next, my current work is looking at well, great. We have all this interaction stuff at the Vega level. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we raise that, you know, even further up the abstraction ladder to the Vega Lite level? Um, and so that way, you're you know, you're creating specifications in Vega Lite much more efficiently than in Vega. Um, but again, we're, we've not thought about any of the interaction stuff. So my hope is that once we figure it out at the Vega Lite level, that might inform, you know, how we do interaction design in Lyra. So how do you interactively design interactions yeah. um, and things like that? So that's sort of my next year, year and a half's worth of work.
0: And so all the work you've been talking about, like you said, so tries to democratize the process of creating visualizations. So right. uh, you 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 give to some person, you know, they're an Excel user you give them Lyra, you give them Vega, you give one of these tools, and they're like, great, um, I can use a tool to make something, but now I have to figure out how to get it from this thing into the browser. So is that another, I mean, that's obviously part of the workflow. Is that another sort of thing that you're thinking about trying to help people do in an easier sort of way?
1: Yeah, it's a a good question. Um, So we've been trying to figure out better ways to to make Vega visualizations publishable online. Um, So I think one of the things that made D3 as popular as it is and as useful is that huge gallery of example visualizations and blocks.org and things like that. And so we've been trying to figure out um, how can we leverage GitHub Gists Mm -hmm. or um, other things like that. So we have a little project in in the Vega GitHub organization called Vega Embed where we're sort of prototyping some of these ideas out um, but it's, it's definitely on our radar yeah. Uh,
0: cool Yeah. Um, great this is super interesting um, thanks for, uh, for coming on the show and telling me yes. all about uh, these great tools you're absolutely working on. and thanks for having me and thanks to everyone for tuning in this week of course if you have comments or suggestions hit me up on twitter or on the website and please rate the show on iTunes moving it up the queue uh, really okay. does help and uh, until next time thanks for listening This episode of the Policy of His podcast was brought to you by Socrata. Socrata is the global leader in software solutions that are designed exclusively for digital government and provide benefits for hundreds of public sector leaders and their constituents. The company's customers, among others, include the cities of New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. To learn more about Socrata, visit them on the web at www.socrata.com.